Q&A on Infection Control, a conversation with Jennifer Brown. This webinar included an online demonstration. To watch a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19-related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights. Today, we'll be discussing infection control in long-term care with a live Q&A. And now I'd like to introduce our guest today, Jennifer Brown. Jennifer is a quality improvement specialist and infection preventionist at Quality Insights. She is a registered nurse with over 10 years of experience in a variety of healthcare settings, most recently as director of staff development and infection prevention in long-term care. She has also led several quality improvement and infection control initiatives in acute and ambulatory settings. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks, Kathy. We have a pre-submitted question here. This question says, with all the current changes regarding COVID, are we still required to have designated green, yellow, and red zones? And if so, do we still need to have uh, have marked by signage? Thanks, Kathy. So at this time, the designated green, yellow, and red zones are not required. Um, However, to ensure the safety of residents with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 infection, it is recommended to place them in a private room with a designated bathroom. However, in some facilities, space is an issue. So if multiple residents need to be housed together, it is important to ensure that they have the same respiratory pathogen. So both COVID-19 positive or you're cohorting for flu, both flu positive. And you'll also need to consider other communicable diseases. So if they, you know, one has MRSA, you know, they can't be cohorted with another person who does not. Um, And high numbers of COVID-19 residents, entire units used to be, you know, designated um, with the red, yellow, and green sections. However, that's no longer required, but if possible, you know, try to have designated healthcare professionals be with the residents who are COVID positive. Um, I have also gotten questions about transmission-based precautions for closed contacts. So this would, I guess, be under the old yellow scenario. So if a resident has been in close contact with someone who does have a positive COVID-19 infection, they're generally not necessary to take um, precautions if they're asymptomatic. However, residents should still wear a mask or other source control. Um, If they are... uh, not recovered from the COVID infection in the past month, they should get tested according to the recommended testing schedules. There are certain situations where it is advisable to, you know, use transmission-based precautions as a precautionary measures. For instance, if a resident is unable to get tested or wear a mask as recommended, um, also if they are severely immunocompromised or if they're staying in the unit where others are severely immunocompromised. Um, Also where there's ongoing 
COVID-19 transmission and it's not being controlled by other interventions. So, you know, if the resident is placed in transmission-based precautions due to close contact with someone with COVID-19, they should remain in precautions. Um, and if they don't develop symptoms and all the viral testing comes back negative, they can be removed from precautions after the exposure. All right, thanks, Jen. And we haven't received any questions so far. So um, I think you said you had a resource you wanted to share or if there was anything else you wanted to talk about before we circle back to the Q&A. Yes, so one of the resources that has been newly released is the vaccine tracking worksheet. That mentioned this a couple of weeks ago uh, during one of our webinars. Um, and we sent the worksheet out to a few nursing homes to trial it and give us feedback on, you know, how the formulas are working. So we have the updated version available for download. Uh, this was included in our last minute download last week, and it's also available on our website. Um, so I just want to uh, go over that, do a quick demo of the vaccine tracking worksheet. Um, and answer any questions that anyone may have about that. Mm -hmm. So um, this worksheet was developed um, and <clears throat> excuse me, and formulated to track pneumococcal vaccinations and flu vaccinations for residents over the age of 65. Um, it's based on the most updated recommendations by the CDC. And I'm just gonna share my screen here so that everyone can see. So this is the landing page for the pneumococcal vaccination worksheet and um, vaccination worksheet. So this just has the instructions on how to use it. Um, the most current recommendations are here and a link to the Pneumorex Vax Advisor which can be used as a resource if anyone is unsure about, you know, how they uh, need to proceed with a particular situation. Um, and also the updated recommendations about flu, which, you know, everyone over six months is recommended to get the influenza vaccine every year with very rare exceptions. So this is the pneumococcal, pneumococcal tab. Uh, for this tracking worksheet, it's necessary to add a name and date of birth. These are the two required fields on the worksheet. Um, you can, there's also space to put a floor and room number so that you, know, you can track uh, within your facility. Um, and these areas here are to put the dates of vaccines that your residents have received. So let's just start with John Joe, and he received a PCV20 um, on 1-8-23. So when that date is entered in, we have, um, it showed that it turned green and he's up to date for the PCV20. These, Fields here are not lit up at all because you know he's up to date with just that. Um, but however, they can um, have a decline for the PCV thirteen or 
PCV15 um, and have them grayed out if um, they did not receive it. It's really up to you. We changed this around a little bit. So, you know, it's not really necessary, but you can gray that out if you would like to. Okay, and we'll try another scenario here. So let's say that um, the resident got a PCV15 on twenty, and because this is over a year old, it'll show that they are not up to date with the PCV15 anymore. And you can satisfy that with getting a PCV15 or the PPSV23. So let's just do the PPSV23. Um, and we'll say they got it yesterday. And now that scenario is up to date. So we have um, another resident. So let's just say that they got the PCV15. 13. So because, you know, this is not up to date, they'll need to follow up with additional vaccines. So we can uh, give them another PPSV23. Say they got that this year as well, and now they are up to date. So this is just a way to provide um, some visual cues and show when people you know, have had vaccines and are due for another um, and, you know, show when they are up to date. So you can see at a glance, you know, who's good and who's not. So um, there are situations where, you know, it's been over five years and an additional dose may be indicated. And in those cases, the section will turn yellow just to just to give you a cue that you need to speak with the provider about, um, you know, possible second dose. And if a dose is not indicated, there is a selection for the decline stating consulted with provider, no additional doses are recommended at this time. And that would satisfy um, the vaccine administration and turn the box green. Hey, Jim, we're getting a couple of questions about this spreadsheet. Okay. The first one says, what if they have two PPSV23? Two, two, mm -hmm. The other says, is there a way to put in more than one date for a vaccine? Example, a resident has received two PPSV23. Um, there is not currently two um, columns for the PPSV23. However, there is a note section here um, where you can put in special considerations like that. Thank you. Questions about the pneumococcal spreadsheet? Let's see. Will we be able to add COVID, a COVID-19 vaccine tab? Um, at this time, we don't have a COVID-19 tab, but that is a consideration we'll take into account. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I uh, just wanted to move on quickly um, on the influenza vaccine tracker. This sheet is a little more straightforward. You know, like I said, there is um, there is um, information here about 
uh, the vex the influenza vaccines. So for this one, um, it says to enter the flu season begin date. So right now it's defaulted to, you know, this current flu season uh, start date of seven one twenty two. But going forward, um, if you have um, you're going to be tracking for next year, you can change that to seven one twenty three or, you know, however you'd like to do it. And basically anyone who has not had a vaccine, influenza vaccine within the current year, um, they would be able to put that date in here. So let me just say, let me just put an old one in. So we'll say five to 21 was their last vaccine. And we'll see that that remains red. However, if they got it, Back in 22, they're green. So at a glance, you can see, you know, who is current and who is not. So you can put in, you know, any date here. And then it has um, information here um, about the administration location. If they got it within the facility or outside of the facility. Um, there are some reporting um there is some reporting that you know needs to be done where you need that information. If they've declined, yes or no. Um, reason for decline, and it has you know medical contraindication, concerned about side effects, perceived low risk, arrived outside of flu season, if they have an allergy, and you can put a note in there about what that allergy is, against their religious beliefs, or not eligible. Again, you know, if there's any additional information information um, that is needed, you can put it there in the notes. We got a couple more questions. This one says, should we be using the influenza tracker now, even before the start of the flu vax season? Um, at this time, the influenza, since we're sort of in that, you know, gray area here, this influenza tracker would be best to either track last year's flu information or reporting on the you know past flu season or you can start fresh with the new flu season someone else asked can a red not up to date be overridden if it's not accurately turning to green it can you can use one of the uh declined to gray it out and write information on the pneumococcal with additional notes explaining you know why yeah. Can I just add something to that one, Jennifer? Sure. So, um, Amy, I know that you were one of the, the facilities that were testing this for us. So first, we want to make sure that you have the most up-to-date um, version of the tracker, because we originally did find some issues with some of the formulas. But also, um, some of them may not be turning green because of um, the situation that Jennifer said about if it's been five years since their last vaccine, and that's where you would pick um, the reason for declining. You would say that the it was reviewed with the provider and no no new uh, vaccines at this time, and then it should change that to green. But if you have specific situations where it's not turning and you feel it should be, um, please reach out to one of us because we want to make this as um, user-friendly as possible. And we want to make sure that the dates you're putting in, it is turning the colors the way they should turn the colors. If it's not, it kind of defeats the purpose of um, what, what Jen has worked so hard on creating here. 
Okay, thank you, Deb. Um, Deborah Wright is one of our quality improvement specialists. And yes, um, this new tracker that we're using, you can see at the very top, it says vaccine tracking worksheet 2.0. Um, for those of you who were helping us test, it was originally called vaccine tracking worksheet final. We realized that there's probably never going to be a final version of this. We're going to keep updating and making improvements, maybe adding a COVID section eventually. So that's where we're going to start calling it 2.0. Future versions might be 3.0 and so on. Um, this next question says, are LPNs able to read TSTs in Pennsylvania? So um, let me just take, I'll, I'll double check that. Every facility that I've um, been with has had it in their policy that it was RNs. However, it may be allowed by regulation. Deb or Penny, do you know if the regs show that LPN can do it? I don't have it right up in front of me, but I was always taught that it was outside of the scope of practice for an LPN to read a PPD. They could, they could give a, there was always a discussion about whether they could administer it. And it did change that they could administer it as long as there was a competency on file at your facility. And it was in your protocol that the LPNs could administer the TB with an acceptable competency, but I don't believe they can read, but that's something we can, um, we can all research a little bit further and get back to you. Okay, thank you. And then I have one question about infection control that was submitted earlier. It says, if a facility is asking about a good policy procedure manual for infection control, what would you recommend? So there are a lot of, um, sample infection control policies. Um, if you have access to APIC files, there are a lot in there in the, in the um, resources. Um, however, if you don't ask, have access to a database like that, you can reach out to me. I can send you some sample um, infection control policies. And that's all the questions we've received so far. Oh, we had another one come through. Does anyone have any feedback on COVID admission testing due to the end of the PHE? So the COVID admission testing um, is not currently a part of the requirements uh, with the end of the PHE, but it is, you know, recommended to, you know, update your policies, your, you know, facility policy to reflect your, you know, process for admissions. But in general, just gen like general screening for asymptomatic people are not recommended. Okay, thank you. And let's see, we got a couple more questions coming in. Is there any clear guidance on staff members and guests temping in daily? So the I think they're referring to the uh, pre-screening at the front desk um, when they arrive to the facility. And for that, that is no longer required. Um, it is required to have signage related to um, any symptoms that the person might have um, and reminding them if they are having symptoms, if they have tested positive for COVID-19, that they should you know, delay their visit um, 
until, you know, either their quarantine period is completed or, you know, they've been tested negative, um, you know, for COVID-19. So uh, that that signage is really the only requirement. Um, some facilities have chosen to continue screening as an extra precautionary measure. And, you know, that's okay as long as it's a part of your policy to do so. Thank you. And we have one more question in here again. It says, please, please clarify, is daily COVID screening required? Is um, thinking for residents, um, is that what we're asking about here? Yes, for residents. Okay. Yeah. So daily screening for COVID-19 is not required for residents. Um, you know, I know that was a requirement in the past, but that is no longer included in the guidance. I'll just add, just I've seen um, some uptick in surveyors going into facilities where the they might have residents who have respiratory symptoms and just with the ending of the PHE that the facilities are getting a little lax with testing. Um, so the guidance for the ending of PHE is specified that you still have to continue to test if residents are symptomatic and that you're going to face, um, you know, citation if you do not. So I think that's really important um, to keep in mind. If you have a resident with respiratory symptoms, you need to be screening them still, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that has to include COVID testing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thanks, Jean. Um, yeah. That is a, a really big um, thing. And also, you know, just making sure that we are keeping track of any symptoms that residents might have um, and making sure that we're taking the proper precautions. And, you know, if another thing uh, that's sort of related to this, you know, if you have a situation where a resident tests positive, they cannot remain in the room with their roommate who hasn't tested positive and maybe not even showing symptoms you know, just because they've been exposed, they have to, you know, the COVID positive person has to be in the COVID care area. All right, thank you. And I think that's it for all of our questions today. Jennifer, I'd like to thank you for joining us again today. And I would like to thank all of you for joining us again today. Hope you have a good week. Thank you. If you would like to contact Jennifer Brown, you can reach her at jbrown at qualityinsights.org. You can check out our other interviews at qualityinsights.org slash QIN slash multimedia 